Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And daughter, do death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm still recovering from the the intensity of the Fred and Rose West case that we did over the last three episodes. It was intense. It was intense. It was. Yeah. Good. But intense, yeah. <laughs> it, um, there's so much to find out about that case. So if mm. anybody wants to just search for it, you'll find tons of stuff. Mm. <laughs> I thought it was interesting tons. seeing the pictures of the children and how they really look like him, especially, I think. Mm. They I all really, that, really feature they all him. Like him. Yeah, that sort of yeah. fairly square sort of face. That he yeah. Had. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and there was that diagram that someone had sort of drawn of, of the house like from oh, in yeah. profile and it just from where, they found the bodies. Where, the, where the bodies were in the garden and under the floor of the house I thought that was really that interesting was a good yeah but uh, this week I think we're going to try something a little bit more relaxed a bit of light-hearted murder to um contrast the intensity us, <laughs> yeah recover from the last three weeks <laughs> we've both got short stories to tell yeah we've both got a kind of yeah a short murdery death related story to tell each other yeah okay before we start on those uh, is there any true crime news this week pb and the big news was the terrorist bomb in liverpool over oh, the weekend my god did you see which the could have been devastating yeah that video um, is incredible it's awful isn't it yeah so yeah i think amazing that that didn't cause more damage than it did actually because that could yeah. be nice. I think did the bomb go off at the wrong time or something like that or I have no idea what bit. his intention was so um so a very good friend of ours is a paramedic in Liverpool and oh, yeah. he was um saying that the cathedral is just behind the women and children's hospital so they think the taxi driver was going there but then the guy was like acting weird so for some reason he went to the hospital instead and then the bomb went off at the hospital rather than dropping him off at the cathedral I heard that Yes, he was meant to be going to like a Remembrance Day parade, but the roads were closed. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah, makes sense. He, he could, the taxi driver couldn't drop him off there. Yeah. Now, whether yeah. his bomb was actually timed for 11 o'clock, like, because that was well, a very yeah. significant time on last Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, 11 o'clock on Remembrance Sunday. Yeah. Whether he had no choice but to, <laughs> then it, that it was going off at 11 o'clock. And, um, yeah, yeah. Bar a few and seconds, think- it did, didn't it? Yeah, but incredible that the taxi driver managed to get out of the car. How on earth he survived that? Yeah. He managed to just open the door and walk out of it. Yeah. And he's got a perforated ear. I heard that as well. Apart from that, he's yeah. like, fine. There's like yeah. nothing wrong with him. Bit of a... Which is just, yeah, mm. crazy. Perforated ear. I'm not surprised. Is he in a confined place like a car with a oh my bomb God, going off? a bomb off. going off next year, yeah. But, uh, but he better got to out walk out with a the... perforated eardrum than... Yeah. Been dead, but yeah, and it killed the other guy. Like, how did he manage to get out? Maybe the, the, the chairs of the, the car chairs themselves yeah. might have acted as a bit of a shield. I presume that passenger was in the back, there. but I don't know. There was an, another bit of news that I picked up on earlier today that Zephaniah McLeod, who was 29, has been sentenced to at least 21 years in prison because he went on a Killing spree over 90 minutes in Birmingham last September, stabbing eight people, but and one of them 
died but he had been suffering from paranoid schizophrenia and was well known to mental health services at the time and they've said obviously he should have been under better scrutiny supervision knowing yeah. kind of what what he was doing so he's been sentenced today yeah that's if there's a few cases that are coming through of people who just kind of slip through the cracks of care that they should have been yeah looked after on they weren't right okay well thank you for that I saw as well that a prisoner on death row in America, Julius Jones, was sentenced to death for the killing of a man during a car jacking um, in 1999. He was sentenced to death in 2002 and he was supposed to have been um, executed today at 10 o'clock p.m. And so four o'clock local time. Um, But they have just said that they are not going to put him to death and they're going to commute it to life imprisonment without parole instead. Wow. So, yeah, that's a very uh, <laughs> it's a very last minute um, call off, isn't it? <sighs> you imagine thinking you're going to die in like five hours and then being told that you're yeah. not going to. Well, thank you for that roundup, Phoebe. You're welcome. So tonight I've got quite a, a short story. For you which was quite interesting but also a little conversation about something else at the end of it so okay elizabeth ridgeway knee husband was born in the late 17th century so in the 1600s on a farm just outside ibstock in leicestershire she lived at home with her mother her father had died when she was younger um, and she lived at home until she was about 29 when her mother died and then she took a job in, in the town as a household servant because obviously she couldn't live on the farm alone. She didn't really get on very well with her colleagues and she had right. a particularly difficult relationship with one male co-worker. But he didn't really stay around very long at the household so he wasn't a problem for too long. During this time she had several suitors who she would you know, court Um, And she developed a relationship with a man called John King in 1682. However, she felt that she was kind of totally trapped by him and had promised way too much to him. Um, So she ended that relationship with him. Um, She preferred the far wealthier Thomas Ridgway. And she married him on the 1st of February 1683 after waiting over the winter to be able to kind of marry him but sadly just after they got married things weren't all good as his sister called in a 20 pound debt that he owed her um which very nearly bankrupted the couple because 20 pounds is quite a lot in yeah 1683 um so he wasn't really the kind of wealthy suitor that she thought after he'd had to pay this 20 pound debt back and she actually contemplated suicide for a time because she wasn't sure how she was going to get out of this situation and what what she would do now she wasn't now she was kind of married to this man who wasn't who she thought he was but in the end she ultimately decided that she would stir some arsenic that she had purchased earlier in Ashby de la Zouche into oh, yeah. her husband's broth while he was at church oh. um, so when he came home from church he ate most of his dinner and although he complained to his um, apprentices who lived in the house as well that it was kind of gritty he still ate it and then thomas ridgeway died that evening which was three weeks and three days after their wedding oh gosh so uh they didn't they weren't married for very long 
The apprentices in the house suspected poisoning. Mm-hmm. And after her, her attempt to feed them arsenic as well, <laughs> she attempted to bribe them into silence because she just wanted to shut them up and make sure no one told them. However, one of them reported his suspicions to Ridgway's parents yeah. and the local justice of the peace, who then ordered an inquest by the coroner. So examination of his body confirmed that he had been poisoned and Elizabeth Ridgway was jailed in Leicester to await trial. Now, I don't think this would stand up in a court of law today, mm-hmm. but to test her guilt, she was forced to touch her husband's body in the belief that the body of the victim would spontaneously bleed in the presence of a murderer. What? Um, so apparently <laughs> when she touched his body, blood gushed out of his nose and mouth. Hmm. proving her guilt so they'll be calling her a witch next well during her (laughs) trial on the 14th of march she pled not guilty but she was convicted and sentenced to burn to death okay bit like a witch a bit like a witch yeah um despite some protests over the severity of the sentence the judge refused to relent but he did ask that a local clergyman counseled her before she was put to death she said she had no interest in making her peace with god and um toyed with this clergyman by promising him full confessions multiple times before changing her mind so she was obviously a piece of work i'm gonna say she was obviously not a very nice lady however on the morning of her execution she did admit that she had poisoned her husband okay also admitted that she had poisoned her mother back uh some years before because um they'd had a fallout and she didn't like what her mother had said to her so she poisoned her she had also poisoned the servant that she didn't get along with uh who she was working with and she had also poisoned john king the man that she was in a relationship with that she decided she didn't want to be in a relationship anymore so she thought that poisoning him would be the easiest thing to do Um, she admitted that she'd killed them by either mixing white mercury or arsenic into her intended victims food or drink and she was put to death in march 1683 so similar sort of thing that we've seen before a well she married him on the first of february and she was dead by the end of march so all really all really happened (laughs) quite quickly yeah no years and years and years on death row no. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to just have a little bit of a look at burning at the stake. Because I feel oh, like okay. we've talked quite a lot about hanging and execution like um, and beheading. But we've never really talked about burning at the stake. So it has been used since the 18th century BCE. So, you know, before Jesus, <laughs> 1800 years before Jesus, it started being used. Oh, okay. It's a really, really old form of punishment yeah um and it is often kind of traditionally used for religious or political reasons especially treason heresy and then obviously it's very famously known for being used with women who were being accused of witchcraft yeah (laughs) being burnt at the stake was really common in the tudor era with hundreds of protestants being burnt at the stake by mary the first obviously getting her that name of bloody mary yep So in the process of being burnt to death, the body experiences burns, obviously, to expose tissue. Um, Changes in the content and distribution of body fluid 
um, fixation of tissue and shrinkage, especially of the skin because of the fact that all the moisture is going out of it. Internal organs might also shrink due to fluid loss um, and shrinkage and contraction of the muscles may cause joints to flex and the body to adopt the pugilistic stance, the boxer stance. And that's really commonly seen in people who've been kind of just burnt to death Mm -hmm. in a house fire. You kind of see people, it looks like they're kind of defending themselves, Um, but it's not. That's just how their body kind of, and their muscles kind of contract. Contract, yeah shrinkage of the skin around the neck might actually be severe enough to strangle a victim before they actually kind of burn to death and fluid moves around especially in the skull and in the kind of hollow organs of the abdomen and it can cause hemorrhages heat hematomas the organic matter of the body may be consumed as fuel by a fire so things like fat obviously that would help um them burn quicker and the cause of death is frequently determined by the respiratory tract where um, kind of edema or bleeding of mucous membranes and things like that may be indicative of inhalation of of gases that they can kind of see afterwards but most people weren't completely cremated most people kind of died of the injuries and the infliction of being burnt so they wouldn't be kind of left to burn until they're cremated because cremation takes incredibly high heat and a really long time yeah so they just kind of burn them till they were dead take them off and then bury them so um oh, okay they Ooh. wouldn't necessarily wait until they were kind of nothing they'd be in a bit um, of a mess wouldn't they yeah and the amount of pain I that it would cause it, yeah. somebody i mean is the greatest at the beginning and of the burning process before the flame burns away the nerves Oof. so after that point it doesn't hurt at all because i haven't got any nerves to feel it but initially it would be incredibly painful many victims died quickly from suffocation basically as the right. hot gases kind of damage their respiratory tract but those who survived the burning which could happen die within days if they were kind of taken off too soon or things like that oh my god so women were more likely to be burnt at the stake for treason so they didn't have to be publicly displayed naked because whereas men who were more likely to be hung, drawn and quartered, it didn't matter so much that they were naked out in public. So women would be burnt and men would be hung, drawn and quartered. Oh, for okay. right. However, as described in Death Comes to the Maiden, in practice, the women's clothing would burn away almost instantly. <laughs> so she'd be left naked anyway. And there were, there were two types of treason. So high treason, which was for crimes against the sovereign and petty treason which i didn't know about which was for the murder of one's lawful superior including that of a husband by his wife that's why she would have been burnt at the stake for her crimes because she committed petty treason by murdering her lawful superior by killing her husband yeah wow so towards the end of the time that people would be burnt alive the convicted would be strangled or hanged to death first and then burnt kind of as a symbolism sort of thing which feels a bit weird and gratuitous, but hmm. hey. Attitudes changed towards this practice towards the end of the 18th century, when in 1786, Phoebe Harris and her accomplices were sentenced to death by burning at the stake for making counterfeit coins. So oh, that feels gosh. like a really extreme punishment for making kind of counterfeit coins or yeah. burn at the stake. For some reason... The press jumped on this and just decided that it was no longer an acceptable thing to do. Um, and they, they'd they not really kind of made much of a comment about it before, but in the Daily Universal Register, 
claimed that the act reflected a scandal upon the law, a disgrace to the police, and was not only inhuman, but shamefully indelicate and shocking. And the newspaper asked, why should the law in the species of offence inflict a severer punishment upon a woman than upon a man? Hmm. And that really kind of started this conversation about actually, was this a bit barbaric? So this prompted William Wilberforce from Hull. Oh, yeah. And the guy who was very instrumental in the abolishment of the slave trade. Slave trade, yeah. He sponsored a bill to end burning as a punishment. However, it didn't kind of go through straight away. It needed some more backing. And after much pressure from lawmakers, MPs, high sheriffs, and finally confirmation from King George III, the burning of women at the stake for treason was abolished in 1790. Um, and was just replaced by simple hanging without the burning afterwards as well. And we know that women continued to be hanged until Ruth Ellis was the last woman to be hanged in the UK in 1955. Yep. Um, which really wasn't that long ago. Oh, <laughs> uh, not in the scale of things. No. So, yeah, we no longer burn our women at the stake, but um, it wasn't no, that don't. long ago that we uh, we stopped hanging them. Uh, thank you for telling me about Elizabeth Ridgeway. I don't think I knew that story, but uh, she seemed to be quite happy to poison people. So um, yeah, I'd say so. But yeah, burning at the stake oof, sounds absolutely awful. Yeah, um, but yeah, as I was saying, um, hanging features in the brief tale I have to tell you. And for this story, I am indebted to well, both Murderpedia.com. <laughs> But also, Executions in Wales. Oh, there you go. Which is executionwales.blogspot.com, which seems to be run by a guy called Stephen Francis. I am indebted to Stephen Francis for the majority of this write-up. Trevor John Edwards was a collier from Quamarman, in the Sion Valley in South Wales, not that far outside Cardiff, as it happens. He was born in 1908, and as a young man, still in his teens, I think, he had a girlfriend called Annie Prothero. But Annie decided to leave Kumarman to go and live in Swindon in England. Oh, okay. There you go. Exotic Swindon. Exotic Swindon. It probably was in... Well, this would have been like the mid-1920s by this stage. And and also by the time that uh, Annie left, Trevor Edwards had already found a new girlfriend in the shape of a young Elsie Cook. Now, not very long after they started seeing each other, after they started courting, she became pregnant. Okay. And this sent... Trevor Edwards into despair and depression. Okay. And he actually wrote to his sort of ex and he wrote, Dear Annie, I'm writing to let you know that the trouble I feared has come. And by the time that you come home, I shall have a wife or a coffin. You might think that I don't think anything of you, but you must not think that way because I have never loved anyone else. Not in this life. Oh, that's part of the letter. I don't know what else he might have said to her, but uh, he clearly wasn't happy with the situation with Elsie. No. And uh, was lamenting to his 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 former love, who is now living in Twindham. Trevor 
promise to marry Elsa to make an honest woman of her. But in actual fact, he had another idea. <gasps> and on the 16th of June, 1928, he took her for a, a walk along the hills of Llanweno. Okay. On the walk, he stopped by at a tavern at a pub and he bought a flagon of beer, which okay. um, a sort of like pretty heavy, maybe earthenware, possibly glass, sort of mm-hmm. chunky bottles with like a little loop handle at the top and a yeah. sort of a, a nozzle at the top, possibly sealed with a cork. Okay. So he had this flagon of beer and he had Elsie on his arm and they're walking through the hills. And then all of a sudden, Trevor Edwards hit Elsie over the head with this flagon. Oh, no. In an attempt to kill her. Yeah, that'll do some damage. Yeah, it would. So his words were, I smashed the flagon on her head. Fancy that. (laughs) Fancy that. (laughs) You would not have believed that her head would have been so hard, but she had a felt hat on. This didn't kill her. It might have knocked her unconscious, but uh, or knocked her to the ground at least, but it didn't kill her. So then oh he tried to strangle her on the side of this Welsh hill. And that didn't kill her either. Oh but God. he had about his person, for this very purpose, a razor. Presumably mm-hmm. a sort of a, you know, like a cutthroat razor. Sweeney so Todd he used razor. that. Yep, he Sweeney Todd type razor, and he used that, and he slashed her throat. Oh, no. Did that kill her? That killed her. That killed her. But then, because he was so depressed and pretty miserable with life, he then tried to cut his own throat with the okay. same razor. But it didn't work. He couldn't do it. He, he later oh. went on to say that the razor just didn't cut him, which maybe was the fact that he perhaps didn't really want to do it. But he nevertheless, he had bloody injuries on his neck. Okay. Sounds like uh, so a convenient defence to me. <laughs> well, it does. Maybe it was. Who knows? But um, he attempted to commit suicide, apparently, but it was unsuccessful. Yeah, okay. He had blood all around his neck from the injuries that he had caused himself. Someone had seen Trevor Edwards with this bleeding neck and had mm-hmm. run to the police station to report that he'd seen a man that was covered in blood. Police came out to investigate and they found Trevor Edwards and they also found the body of Elsie with her throat <gasps> cut, the flagon of beer lying nearby and the razor was lying open on the ground. When they found Elsie, they reported in actual fact that her head was almost severed from her body. Oh no. Maybe he blunted the razor on Maybe he had, yeah, he might have done actually, yeah, and that's why he couldn't cut himself sufficiently. So he was arrested and it very quickly came to trial. He was tried at the Glamorgan Assizes before Mr. Justice Branson on the 22nd of November. So it took a while from June to to, to get to court. He pleaded insanity and it was shown in court that his family had a history of insanity and that, in fact, his father had died in a local asylum. But despite all of the evidence to support an insanity plea, and the fact that Edwards had seemed perfectly sane when he confessed to the murder, which weighed against him, he was found guilty and sentenced Mm -hmm. to death. Now, this is where it gets interesting. He was 
hanged on the 11th of December, 1928. Okay. The hangman was Robert Baxter, but he had an assistant called Alfred Allen. Now, Allen was a new assistant, and this was very possibly his first hanging that he was in attendance at. Now, it's reported that Robert Baxter, who a very experienced hangman, was very quick at putting the noose over Trevor Edwards' head and then pulling the lever to open the trapdoor so that he fell very swift. So swift that Alfred Allen hadn't had time to get off the trapdoor. Oh, no. So when the trapdoor did open, not only did Trevor Edwards fall to his death with the rope around his neck, but Alfred Allen also fell and hit the ground at the bottom. Oh, no. He wasn't badly injured, in actual fact, in this case. It's not exactly clear why he was caught up in that sort of situation, (laughs) why that accident occurred. Maybe he just wasn't prepared for the swiftness that uh, the the condemned man was going to appear the Baxter put the noose around his neck, the lever, boom, he was down. Uh, he could have just taken him by surprise, but also uh, the fact that apparently he had quite poor eyesight. So maybe he didn't know uh, where okay. he was. I yeah. bet he didn't do that again, though. <laughs> no, probably not. And that is kind of it, really. So, yeah, that was the end of Trevor Edwards. He died instantly, and to the very end, he apparently had shown no emotion and had maintained his calm throughout. By 8.14 that morning... So it must have happened fairly early in the morning, the hanging. A note was pinned to the door to say that we, the undersigned, hereby declare that judgment of death was this day executed on Trevor John Edwards in His Majesty's prison, Swansea. In our presence, the 11th of December, 1928, and then signed by the witnesses that uh, that were there present at the execution. There you go. So, um, so wow. yeah, a short little story, but quite an interesting one. It's a fact that, uh, that he was hanged. I'll have to look at uh, executionwales.blogspot a bit more and see what else yeah. is there. <laughs> <laughs> Who else got executed in Wales? Yeah. That's really interesting. Thank you. But that that story was posted by uh, by this guy, Stephen Francis, back in 2010. I don't think there's anything very recent. But in 2020, okay. there was a comment posted against it from a chap called Professor David Evans. He said, thanks so much for writing this. I only found out about Trevor John Edwards via Ancestry.co.uk a couple of years ago. He would have been my great uncle, the brother of my long dead paternal grandmother. No way. That's interesting. That, That's um, cool. Um, I don't think we've got any murderers in our family. So, uh, so that was the story of Trevor John Edwards and uh, his very short life. Well, basically for ending Elsie's short life yeah. as well and the life of his unborn child. Yeah. I'll try and find some pictures associated mm-hmm. with that. And there's a couple that I will find as well. Okay. We can put them onto Instagram, which is... At Dad and Daughter Do Death. And we'll put them onto our Facebook page. Dad and Daughter Do Death. If you have any comments or thoughts about either of those two little stories we told you about this evening you can always email us at dad and daughter do death at gmail.com hope you've enjoyed this podcast if you have then please rate us leave us some stars leave us some comments send us a message through the social pages it'd be really good to hear from you absolutely thank you very much for listening 
So join us next time when once again, Dad and daughter do death. Mm-hmm.